special episode of the Home Assistant Podcast. My name is Phil Hawthorne. Just over a week ago, the founder and creator of Home Assistant, Paulus, gave a talk in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. In that talk, which has been dubbed the State of the Union 2018, Paulus covered the very first days of Home Assistant and how we got to where we are today. If you've got some time, the full talk goes for just over an hour, and we'll leave a link to the video where you can see the slides and, of course, Paulus's dapper outfit in the show notes. In case you're listening to the podcast while driving and can't watch a video for an hour, in this special episode we're going to play Paulus's talk about the future of Home Assistant. There's some great new features and concepts in the works, and I'm sure all users of Home Assistant will find this useful. So sit back and get ready to look forward to these new features. It just works. Then we added the notion of devices. And then maybe you're thinking, wow, five years, we have devices. It's about time. And the reason we didn't have devices is because I didn't think it was necessary. Instead, what we did is that we looked at each device and we kind of broke it down. So if you have, for example, a five-in-one multi-sensor, it's like a Z-Wave-like thing, well, that's five sensors. It's actually six because there's also a battery value, right? It tells you is there motion, is there light, and it became like five entities. Or for example, an example on the screen, you can see there's an iPhone, and the iPhone is like, is it charging and does it have a battery? Those are two entities, but they belong to one device. And we have a lot of plans with this because now we know which devices you have. We know the manufacturer. You know, we can start adding photos of it, right? And we know the firmware version, so maybe we notice that you are running an unsecured, like a version of an IoT product with a security hole. Happens sometimes, right? And now we can tell you. We can guide you to the right steps. I don't know if anyone ever saw a diagram like this where people are like graphing out how their whole landscape of their home looks, which devices talk to what, and how all the data gets to Home Assistant. We actually have all the information now to generate these graphs. We don't do it yet, but we're working on this because this is awesome, right? All of a sudden, you get a clear overview which devices are connected locally, which devices go through the cloud. It's just, we have the data and we can show you and we can teach our users about what they actually have in their houses. The other thing we added is, we, you know, we want to get away from restarting Home Assistant because restarting Home Assistant sucks. Especially if you have integrations like Z-Wave, man, that whole network has to be booted up, can take up to 30, 40 seconds, some things don't come up, or some assumed states are lost because we didn't restore it correctly. And so one of the things that we added, and yes, this might sound pretty straightforward, you can change names now without restarting Home Assistant. Yes. And you can change entity IDs. So if you think, if you got some Z-Wave sensor, and it had like a name as like node 5, value 3, blah, 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 ABC, you can now just say, hey, this is the living room sensor. Another cool thing that we recently added is context. This is, of course, part of like adding users. And with context, this is so cool. This is actually like the, one of the missing pieces for machine learning. If we want to learn from our data, we need to know who did what and what resulted in other actions. And so with context, if I call like, say, turn on a script that runs like multiple steps, and that script will then say, turn on this light, turn on this light, and turn off this switch, and those state changes, then I can go all the way back from state changes, I can just go back in the history and see exactly, oh, it was Paulus that triggered this. And actually, he triggered that by doing this script. 
So now all of a sudden, instead of thinking, oh, you really like to control this light, we know you like to control this script that controls this light. And so this allows you to do attribution. So if you ever come home and it's cold, you can see who changed the thermostat. But we can also just start learning. And so we're going to add this to Lovelace, where we're going to be our new UI that we're working on. And we're going to be able to say, hey, if it's morning, you're most likely to interact with these devices. These are the ones that we're going to show on the top of your dashboard. Another thing we recently added is webhooks. And so we've already had a lot of integrations that are based on webhooks. And webhooks is where a website somewhere on the internet wants to tell us something, and then they, it's called a webhook. And it's literally, they just call a URL on Home Assistant with a piece of data. And one of the problems we had before is that these integrations, they needed to get an API password. And it meant that full access. But okay, we got a user system. But webhooks cannot deal with the, with the authentication that our user system uses. And so we, could add, we added like tokens that like were longer livid. But that was not good enough because those tokens have a lot of permissions. They can still access everything. And so with webhooks, we create a URL with a completely randomized URL. So that way, and the data sent to that URL is only being delivered to that one integration. There's no more way to like hijack. So even if a person was able to guess the webhook ID, they would then not know which integration was actually handling it and how that's being treated in your house. And then Lovelace. Lovelace is our new user interface. Because we realized that our old user interface was a bit too much magic. Because what happened is that we had this Initially, I had this vision that I knew what was good for all the users. You know, I was like, ah, you have lights, you create some groups, this is how you want to have it ordered, this is what you want to show. But very quickly, you realize, like, no, people want to customize every single bit. But if the foundation of your user interface is magic, the only way you can then allow people to customize it is to kind of set properties on states to tweak the magic and influence it while the, you know, the sorting hat was building your UI. And so we realized, this is stupid. And so what we did is that with Lovelace, we actually turned it around. You define exactly what you want to see on your screen, and we show that. And one of the things that we realized is also people want to do custom UI, right? We cannot build everything. We cannot put all the crazy options people want in their user interface in the Home Assistant. So we have to support custom user interfaces. And so with Lovelace, you're actually able to create your own custom cards and plug them into our UI. And that way, we've seen crazy things. Like, I know there's like stacks of cards and actually on this user interface in the middle, on the big screen, you see an alarm uh, keypad. Or originally, this was a custom card, but we thought it was so cool, we put it in, in Home Assistant. This is a great example of like what people are doing that's customized because these are custom cards. This is not Home Assistant, what we have built in, but this is what Isa thought of. And the last thing we launched, and we launched, you might not have heard of this because we launched this a couple of days ago, is that with Lovelace, we are actually gonna allow you to edit the user interface so that you no longer, you already had that you don't, have, you don't have to restart to reload Lovelace. However, you still need to edit text files. And we don't like text files anymore. We want to have an option besides text files. And so we added this text file editor in the UI. And this is the first step, and we just released this. I'm going to show you a quick demo. I hope. 
There you go. So this is Lovelace. And what you can do is, just, you know, on the left, we just have a simple entities card. On the right, we have a, a glance card, as we call it, where you put in some entities that you want to see at a glance. Um, and what you can do is that you can go here, and you click on the configure UI. It says alpha, which is pretty impressive because it's already part of Lovelace, which is also alpha. So this is really, <laughs> you know. And then what, the only thing that changes is that the top bar changes because you're in the edit UI mode, and all of a sudden there are edit buttons. And these edit buttons, they show actually the card, and you can still change this, right? You can turn it off. You can see it in the background. It's actually turning off as well. This is like the live card. This is the real card. But it's also live editable. So I can add to the title here, and you can see the card updating live. But then we were like, this is cool, but we can do better. We can actually build a UI for our configuration. And so this is something that Zach has been experimenting with. And this is actually for the glance card. You can still see like the preview at the bottom, but you can also just change. If you say, oh, this is the ceiling light, let's make it the bed light. Now it's the bed light. And this is all still real time. You see what you're working on, and you see exactly how your user interface is going to look. And this is going to be great, and this is not only for the built-in cards. We have actually built in a way that the custom cards can also add their own configuration. They are just, any custom card is treated as a first-class citizen. That way, we have to build less, you know? It's just strategy. All right, I've talked about a lot about what we recently shipped. I also just want to give a small sneak peek of what we've been working on, because we've been working on a lot of things. So the first thing is permissions. Because if you have authentication, that's great. But if every user is an admin user, you're still not there yet, right? If people don't know how to configure Home Assistant, then maybe they don't even should show that button. Or maybe if you have children, you don't want them to control the lights in your parents' bedroom. So these are problems we're solving. And so this is gonna be powered by a new concept called permission groups. So every user can be part of multiple groups and so you can have like a group that is allowed to manage things. You have like a group that's maybe just a read-only of all of Home Assistant, right? So for example, you could have guests come in and you can give them access to the locks to open the door while they're in town and just control their own room. This is going to be possible. The other thing that we're working on for Home Assistant Cloud is remote webhooks. Because we got webhooks now, you can configure it through the user interface, but you still need to expose your instance to the internet. And that's not cool, because that's still like, you know, questionable security. I mean, we're secure, but if there was ever a zero-day exploit or people misconfigure things, because they can still misconfigure things, it might still leak. So we want to remove that incentive for people to have their instance exposed to the internet. And so one of these things is remote webhooks. So any webhook that you can use today, you will be able to route through a URL that will be sent encrypted over the cloud to your instance. The other thing, also in our quest to not expose your instance to the internet, is remote UI. Because right now, if you, wanna, if you are away from home and you want to control Home Assistant, you need to open your router, you need to configure dynamic DNS so that like, you can reach your home, you need to get SSL certificates, well you should, you can do it without. Um, and it's something that's very error prone. We have all these instructions and we have, you know, every instruction we say, keep it secure, check your security. This is an example password, use something else, please. 
But people don't do it. Because the thing is with security and IT is that people don't realize how insecure their systems are because you don't see it. If you're at home and your door is open, okay, well, the door is open. That's obviously not secure. But if you have an open port with a passwordless uh, standby share on it, nobody knows. Like, un until you get hacked and, like, your, your speakers and lights go on at 4 a.m. <laughs> so we're trying to... We're building a system that it is not necessary. Then we're adding areas. And so, because one of the goals that I'm having is that, like, if we want to... I want to add all the structures that we need to like represent your home. And now that we have devices, well, you those devices are all located in your house in certain places. Um, and so we're working on this to allow you to whatever you configure a new integration that you can actually say, oh, this is this device, this is in this area. And once we have areas, we can do a lot of cool stuff. Lovelace can be just showing an area. We can have, say, area-based permissions. So if you want to limit people to only certain rooms, you can actually just point them at the area instead of having to list every entity. And when we synchronize with Google Assistant, they have the notion of rooms, which can be mapped to our areas. It will be automatically configured. You know, we can actually bring it over and then you can tell Google, hey, turn on the lights in the kitchen and it will work. The next thing we're working on is onboarding. So we recently added an onboarding flow as part of adding users because you know, we needed to get people to be able to create an account, otherwise they couldn't log in. And of course, we could create a setup where they have like a default username and password, but they probably wouldn't change that, right? So we need an onboarding flow to guide them through this and like have them create an account. But wait a second, now we have an onboarding flow. We don't want to like, you know, one of our things is we want to get people to get started very quickly. So if we already do discovery, but we, with the new configuration screen, we're actually no longer discovering things and just throwing it on your screen. You have to give permission. So we're going to take our existing configuration UI and we're going to put it in the onboarding flow. And so what you can see on the first screen is like, hey, we looked through your network and we just found like Philips U, LiveX, or do you maybe just want to check all our other integrations? Then if you click on U, you go through the setup flow of the Philips U, which is to press the button and then tell Home Assistant you press the button. And then you assign rooms because we have areas now. So this is something that we're gonna start soon. Um, but you know, as you can see, we already got the mockups, which is half the work, right? And the last thing that we're gonna add is persons. Because right now, if you wanna represent a person, we have a device tracker component. But then people were like, well, I actually have two devices or there's multiple ways we can detect the same device, one on your local Wi-Fi, or your device can tell us the GPS coordinates. And what ended up happening is that we lost the original data and we're merging data as it comes in, but we kind of lost track of what the original source of truth is, and it becomes such a mess. And so then, if you look on like the forums, you can find all these crazy scripts where people have been like working on like gathering all that data, crazy algorithms, and it's like, we can solve this, right? So this is also one of the architecture issues that like, we're wrapping up currently. And the idea is going to be, we're going to have a person, which is going to be a new entity. It is linked to a user account so that we also know if a person is logged into the user interface, if those person is home or not, right? We can show you a different user interface. Because if you're logged in and you're away, 
then maybe you want to know, you know, is my garage door locked? Is my door locked? But if you're home, you don't really care about the door. You care about, like, the lights in the living room, maybe. And the other thing that we can do is that we can be more smart. Because instead of, like, trying to merge the device trackers as it comes in without really looking at the old data, we can now have, you know, throw some machine learning at it. Be like, oh, we know that, you know, you usually take this path around this time. Or we can just, you know, combine these sources in a more reliable way. We can say you're, instead of saying, you know, you're not anywhere, we can say you're traveling home. So this is going to be exciting. This is going to be very cool. And so the last thing before I wrap up, because... I can see I've been talking for a long time already, is that to share the love. We're very, very close to being able to give Home Assistant to a user without any terminals and be able to integrate a part of his life. Not like part of, a user part of Home Assistant. Not everything. You know, maybe just the Philips lights, the IKEA lights, not all the crazy cool stuff, but still a subset. So we should be able, and I think we can get there probably like the middle of next year, if Pascal does the work. Uh, <laughs> and then, but I think we can get there. And I think I really want to change the user interface a bit to get like an advanced mode toggle, right? Because we're still going to keep all the cool stuff with text files and these things are going to be possible. But we also want to get a mode of Home Assistant that we can just hand off to someone that we don't really trust with our configuration and it cannot break stuff. I think we have some time for questions. We even have a microphone for questions, right? There you go. I even have a slide for questions. It's cool. So um, I see why you, why you need the, the more UI-based configuration and config management. But I also li really like to have my configuration in Git. How do you envision to, to keep those two stories alive? So I think right now for automations is that we're probably just going to like you know decouple it like we already have the automation editor in one file and you include your automations from the other file if you the problem we're having now with lovelace where we've been adding ui support it will actually go into your text file edit it and we actually found like a yaml editor that preserves comments because that's a really big thing however people don't just want to have one text file. Where people had like Lovelace configs of like 1,000 lines. That's unmanageable if you actually want to go through your text file. And so people have been using the, the bang include and these kind of things. But the problem is, if people are using like, you know, breaking up their text file in many text files, we can no longer create an editor, right? At some point, there's this balance that we have to find. And so I think the right balance is to just say, you do text files or you do UI. And then, you know, for Lovelace, we're going to focus, make sure that, the, you know, even though we're building UI to actually edit, like a glance card, for example, you can still toggle the YAML editor if you just want to write YAML. And so for Lovelace, we were able to kind of <coughs> do these things. For automations, we might actually do this too. But actually, in my whole story today, I haven't really talked about automations. And the reason is because I've been really focusing on like getting it to like a usable state. But I actually have some ideas about automations. And like the automations for the normal people, right, are going to look like this. They're just going to be toggles. You're just going to be turn on the living room lights at night. And then the only thing you can change is you can turn it on or off. You can change the living room to be maybe all the lights or something like this. But yeah, the, the thing with text files, I mean, we still store everything in text files, right? But automated generated text files for configuration entries, you're not really going to change. 
So I think, yeah, the real thing is we're just going to keep it separate. Cool. Uh, but then still, it would be cool to have them also uh, in your Git kind of configuration, kind of merge it back or save it there. It's also for disaster recovery kind of things. I don't want to have it only on my SD card and then when it, my Raspberry Pi dies. So we are actually able to do better disaster recovery now because with configuration entries, we know exactly the format, format that your authentication is stored in and we store it with a version number. So that means that if you make a snapshot of your... Uh, storage directory, which is like a hidden directory in your configuration. And we might one day even encrypt it, store it, allow it to store this like in Dropbox or in Home Assistant Cloud. We will be able to, if we load up your authentication in a modern, newer version of Home Assistant, we, we're going to include migrations, how to store, how, you know, even if we did breaking changes to the format, we will be able to migrate it because we wrote it to disk, so we know the exact format it is. And the problem with the YAML files is that we don't know how the configuration is going to come to us. And that's if you, I don't know if you ever looked at the source code, we have every component has this long line of like, this is how the configuration has to look. And if it's not valid, we don't start Home Assistant. It sucks. It's like a stupid thing. But it's the only way we can, you know, get configuration in and make sure it's in the format. Otherwise, we have thousands of checks that the user actually provide us, even though we said he should and things like that. Cool. Like it. Thanks. Now, so we're at uh, 0.82 right now. We're 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 not at uh, a production version right now. Is is this going to be like an um, an eternal beta kind of situation, <laughs> or is there maybe like a magic number somewhere 18 releases from now that's that might bring us to? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, so initially, we had uh, only like a version tag of like, hey, this date is like this has changed and deal with it. And then people were like, no, we want version numbers. And so I, the first version number we had was 0.7. Um, because, you know, if you start with less than 0.5, people think it's really shitty, right? <laughs> uh, just like Oracle, their first database was actually V2, right? And so, but anyway, we, we came to like V9, and people were like, now we get 1.0. And then I didn't. Um, but I think we're getting close, because with our move to configuration entries where we can actually guarantee that we are having less breaking changes. In fact, with configuration entries, you will not have any breaking changes. Um, so maybe when we have all these things done that I listed today, and that's still a lot, um, maybe it's time for 1.0. I always said when authentication done, is done, it's 1.0. But then I was like, nah, we need permissions and all these things. So yeah, maybe when all this is done. There's always more stuff to do, right? There is. You're right. But I, the one thing, with, if you call something 1.0, does it mean that we can no longer make breaking changes? Do we then really go semantic versioning? Is it going to be V2, V3, V4? I don't know. There's so much going on. I don't want to add another thing to the discussion topic, right? <laughs> of like the community right now. Okay, so uh, regarding HASIO, so I'm not running a Raspberry Pi. I'm running my home server. Um, but I do like to have the add-ons of HASIO. Uh, do you see a future where we're going to migrate to only HasIO, or Wait, migrate to a future where we only do HasIO? Yeah, so I have a home server with Intel i3 yeah. uh, stuff, no so Raspberry Pi. The thing is, the reason the add-ons are for HasIO only is because it has a certain configuration to it that HasIO understands and knows where to pull the data from and like map. And so we do have a HasIO for generic Linux installation that will take control of your Docker and do these kind of things. And I'm, I, I'm actually looking at Frank, he probably knows better. But I think you can still use your system as is if you install the generic Linux installer. 
but making HSIO add-ons compatible with non-HSIO, that's not gonna happen. Then you just have to get the Docker containers, which also, like all these services usually also have their own Docker containers that you can just click and install, but the easy integration with Home Assistant, HSIO has to do it. Because, you know, like I said, we have this special bridge to Home Assistant with like security tokens, for example. Thanks. All right, I think this was it. So yeah, I hope you guys liked it.